Welcome to the Nathan Berry Show, episode one. To kick things off, we're going to do a solo show. Lately, I've been struggling to stay productive and motivated with projects, so I'm revisiting a short ebook I wrote a while ago called The Productivity Manifesto. I hope you enjoy it. some people are more effective than others. Not just producing a bit more than their peers, but sometimes accomplishing 10 to 100 times as much. That question and the desire to become more successful myself drove me to try out dozens of methodologies, tips, and tricks. Some worked, many were a waste of time. The result of this experiment is a series of ideas that have helped me build a business, quit my job, learn to program, and write three books, all in just a few years. If you're willing to really apply yourself and these methods, I'm convinced that you can achieve similar results. There's a quote from Paul J. Meyer that I really like, and it's, productivity is never an accident. It is always the result of a commitment to excellence, intelligent planning, and focused effort. Productivity is never an accident. With that in mind, let's jump in. Number one, focus on the right things. Productivity doesn't matter. The most important productivity tip isn't about productivity at all, at least not in the traditional sense. You see, it doesn't matter how efficiently a task is completed if that task doesn't help you meet your goals. You can spend hours optimizing the items on your to-do list only to realize later that the most effective option would have been to not do them at all. Start by focusing on the right things, the tasks that move your business forward help you meet your goals, and really matter to you. The most productive thing you could do, if you implement nothing else in this book, is to eliminate the filler tasks that aren't helping you reach your goals. You can be incredibly efficient at setting up sales and tracking analytics for a product, but that time is wasted if the product doesn't already sell a meaningful amount. In the same way, meeting people and shaking hands like a pro at a business networking event won't help you if none of these people are in your industry, or can help you with your business. Make sure you aren't working too hard to become insanely efficient at useless tasks. Number two, do something every day. The problem with trying to learn new things is that I never get that far before moving on to something else. The trick is to work on it slowly and steadily until you can really improve. Imagine if each day you spent 10 minutes exercising 10 minutes learning French, 20 minutes practicing drawing, and finally, 20 minutes writing. You wouldn't progress quickly, but a little bit of consistent progress each day would take you really far. Plus, implementing a modest plan is much better than always talking about your dreams and ideas, but never acting on them. In September 2002, Jonathan Hardesty decided he was going to draw and paint every day. He started as a beginner and years later as a professional artist. His journey is documented in a 70-page thread on the forum in conceptart.org. He spent a lot more than 10 or 20 minutes a day, but his story shows what you can accomplish with consistent progress. You can jump in at any point in his story, you know, on page 2 of the thread or page 65, and you can see where he was at in that point, and it's a truly remarkable change. I've been programming almost every day for a little more than a year. 
in that time, I've gone from beginner to having three iPhone applications written, all with slow, steady progress each day. If you have a new business you want to start, a language you want to learn, or a new skill to acquire, you should start by doing a little bit each day. You'll be amazed at what you can accomplish. What will you learn by this time next year? Making a commitment. In order to transform my dream of writing a book into a reality, I started writing every day. My commitment was for 1,000 words a day, but yours can be much lower. The really 1,000 words is just two or three pages. When I was focusing on programming, I wrote an iPhone app called Commit to help you form habits. When you start Commit, the app has you fill in the blanks. I will blank every day. Then it says, what time would you like to be reminded? I filled that in with, I will write 1,000 words a day. Then Commit keeps track of how many days in a row you complete your commitment. The longer your chain gets, the more motivated you will be to not break it. My commitment to write a thousand words every day took me a while to get started. First, I built up a chain of five days in a row. Then I missed a day breaking the chain. Later, I made it to 15 before travel got in the way, again, breaking the chain. I kept working and eventually built a chain to be proud of. As I write this, I've written a thousand words a day for over 600 days in a row. Third, you should create and consume on different devices. I like to think of this as creating a distraction-free zone. In January, I found myself sitting on a plane for four consecutive Mondays, each time writing a blog post to be published the next day. Writing without internet showed me just how often I try to switch from creating to consuming. Every few sentences, I would open up a new tab and try to check email, Facebook, or my RSS reader, only to be forced back to writing by my lack of internet. This is a constant issue for me. Rather than spending large amounts of uninterrupted time creating, I switch to consuming content every chance I get. Here's my solution. My computer is only for creating content. That includes writing, designing, programming, recording like this, or any other creative task. Reading Hacker News, RSS, Instapaper, Facebook, Twitter, all of that belongs on an iPad or a phone. Enforcing a strict separation between these two types of computer uses will help you improve productivity. Just the act of having to switch devices should be enough to remind me to stay on task. If necessary, you can even modify your host file, which is used to tell your, uh, tell your computer you know, where certain sites are at on the internet, or use a tool like RescueTime to block some websites uh, from your computer so that if you go to facebook.com, when you're supposed to be working, it won't even let you get there. Fourth, focus for a fixed amount of time. And this is the, the Pomodoro method. And I got asked, do you do this every day? It was from my sister-in-law. She was asking me this while watching me with a slightly confused look. It was 7 a.m. and we were eating breakfast after having just gone to the gym together. I was writing down the day's tasks on a piece of paper with specific times, while eating my eggs. 7.15 to 7.40, write book on self-publishing. 7.45 to 8.10, code new software features. And finally, 8.15 to 8.40, send out the interview requests. That's the list she was referring to. Making to-do lists is fairly common, but mine actually has specific times. This is how I implement the Pomodoro technique. The basic idea is that you focus completely on a specific task for 25 minutes. 
Checking Twitter, getting water, reading email, or bathroom breaks aren't allowed during the 25-minute work periods. But at the end of each 25-minute session is a 5-minute break, giving you time to read that article, refill your coffee, or waste time in whatever other way you want. When the 5 minutes are up, you're right back to your task, a task that should already be predefined. I had to write out my tasks with times so that I can move from one thing to the next without having to think about what to work on. Since it's predefined, I don't have to make a decision. I just start. This is how I complete my dreaded tasks that otherwise would carry over from one day to the next on my to-do list. Like responding to emails. I do that for just 25 minutes. Whatever I get to in that time is what I do. Everything else, I leave till the next day. So after that 25 minutes, I can be done. I can walk away. If I'm writing and can't manage to write anymore, I keep trying until I finish the session. That way I make sure to push through writer's block without ever wasting too much time. Number five, never miss publishing a blog post. I call this scheduled embarrassment. For six weeks in a row, I consistently published a blog post every Tuesday morning. This wasn't my first attempt at blogging consistently, but it was my most successful. Several times before, I had set goals to write on a consistent basis, but always failed after a few weeks. I always thought this time is going to be different. Here's one technique that actually did work really well. Here's why. Each week, I create a blog post. I don't add any content, and only sometimes do I add a relevant title. At this stage, new post is an acceptable title, though I try to have it be relevant to what I plan to write about. Next, I set the publish date and time for 9.15 a.m. the following Tuesday. Then I click schedule. Throughout the week, I come back to the post, uh, fill in any details, and gradually write it. That's it. If I fail to complete the post by the deadline, it doesn't just go by silently. Instead, it's marked by a hideously incomplete post for everyone to see. This is a wonderful tool to help me practice consistency. Consistency of publishing blog posts is a little less important to me now, so I don't do this exact technique, but having deadlines and something you know published automatically is a great way to force yourself to get it out there. Number six, spend purposefully. Any personal financial advice will tell you to cut out the daily Starbucks trips, spend less money on shoes, or to eat out a few less times each week. I disagree with that at least partially. Ramit Sethi, in his book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, yeah, the, the title sounds spammy, but it's actually really good, talks about how you can spend money consciously. Rather than be frugal in all areas of your financial life, decide what is most important to you, spend on that, and cut back everything else. I have a friend who spends very little money on his apartment, but a small fortune on his car. Another friend spends an ungodly amount of money at Starbucks. I even had an accounting professor in college who was very financially conservative, but loved to spend money on shoes. All of these people have made a purposeful decision to spend their money on things they care about. To really make this work, you have to cut other things that you don't enjoy as much, which quickly bleed away your monthly budget. Personally, I love to spend money on travel. So I spend less on cars, a house, and eating out than many of my friends. Also, I can go on several big trips each year. Money is only half the equation. You also need to spend your time purposefully. 
Just as your money disappears before you realize where it's gone, so does your time. Usually, time is spent in small chunks here and there that add up to an entire day wasted. Now, I don't mean that you should make your time more efficient so that you can work more hours and get more done. Instead, you should decide what you value most and do everything possible to spend more time on those things. Cut out the meaningless but expensive activities that suck up your time. This may mean deciding what tasks you're going to complete before sitting down at the computer or cutting out the TV watching you normally do. Don't let other people decide what you should spend in your <clears throat> Don't let other people decide what you should be spending your time on. If a movie every night is your thing, then watch it. But then don't complain when you run out of time for other things. Whether on time or money, spend purposefully. Number seven, flip a coin. Should you build that product, pursue a specific venture, or ask out that girl? The decision probably doesn't matter as much as you think it does. But we spend a huge amount of mental energy playing out all the possible outcomes, only to come right back to where we started, just as confused as ever. Decisions can paralyze you. So here's a simple solution to help you go with your gut feeling. When you're undecided on a difficult decision, flip a coin. Why? Because when the coin is in the air, you suddenly know which side you really want. For me, this works so well, it's incredible. A slight feeling of disappointment after a coin lands is enough to make me choose the other option. When a coin isn't available, I assign each option to a letter, then ask my wife, A or B. Her response works just as well. Yeah, it's a gimmick, but it works for me. It might work for you as well. So in this case, I'm judging my reaction to a random decision and using that to make my actual decision. Number eight, stop waiting for the perfect tool. Do any of these sound familiar? I'll learn design when I'm able to buy Photoshop. I'll start eating properly when the new diet book arrives. I'll start exercising when I get an elliptical. I would practice guitar more often if I had a better instrument. Or I'll learn to program when I get a new computer. All of these are just excuses to procrastinate. We think the perfect tool is necessary to complete a task or learn a new skill, but really this is just an easy way to justify our procrastination and desire to spend money. Sure, the new guitar would make it more fun to play, but if you aren't going to spend an hour every day practicing, then the new guitar is just a waste of money. You could probably get just as good, at least initially, with a $50 guitar. Some friends did something very similar with their son who wanted to play the drums. Instead of buying him a full drum set, they bought him a single, inexpensive drum. If he practiced with that every day for six months, they would buy him the full set. He practiced every day, eventually got the drum set, and is now quite talented. First, find the dedication then put in the time, and finally, buy that great equipment that you've been wanting. When you think you are dependent on the tool, most often you'll find out that's just an excuse. If you don't have the dedication in the first place, the tool won't make a difference. You will play with it for a few days, maybe even weeks, but then lose interest and move on to the next thing you need. First, prove to yourself that you have the dedication. Number nine, managing ideas. Being a creative person, I often have ideas for new businesses, software, or other great things to create. On one hand, this is a good thing, 
because I never have a shortage of products to work on. But in practice, new ideas can be distracting from what I really should be focusing on. I have two software products, a design business, a full-time job, and a family. Staying focused is critical to my business success, and nothing is more toxic than new, distracting ideas. So what to do when inspiration strikes? I say, confront it head on. Stop what you're doing, if possible, and spend 15 to 20 minutes writing down and planning out the idea. For me, this usually means getting a sketchpad and drawing out different screens of the interface, writing down feature lists, and planning a name. Everything that comes to mind, I put on paper. You know how when you're trying hard not to forget something, it becomes the only thing you can think about? That's why it's so important to put this idea on paper. You no longer have to concentrate on not forgetting it. Once the allotted brainstorming time is up, I close my notebook, stick it back in my desk, and forget about it. I still have the idea available if I want to revisit it, but it is no longer clouding my thoughts and focus. From there on, I can resume my previous task with a renewed focus. When I originally wrote a blog post about this same idea, it was a perfect example. I was distracted from a design project, and I had the idea for what I just told you about writing down ideas, which is ironic. But I took a short break, wrote out the post, and then was able to move on. And so I just, after getting it out of my head, I jumped back into Photoshop and got back to work. Number 10, focus on finishing. At any given time, I can work on whatever I want. So long as I'm on track to make enough money to cover my expenses for the month, it doesn't really matter what I spend my time on. As wonderful as this sounds, it has the unfortunate side effect of many unfinished projects. These are projects that make just enough money that I can't justify shutting them down, but I also no longer have the desire to work on them. Combine this with the contract design projects that I used to do, and I would feel pulled in a dozen different directions. So many things require my time and attention that I become paralyzed and accomplish nothing. So what should I do? Well, today, I decided to pick one project and focus. I put my four or five other projects and ideas on hold. They'll be there waiting for me when I have time. See, that's the thing. Starting is easy. Finishing is the hard part. That's how I ended up with so many separate projects. By allowing myself to move on from unfinished projects, I just get further into this habit. So now I'm going to focus on finishing. Finish what you start, even if that means admitting something is a failure and ending it. Just don't let the project dwindle away. Kill it or complete it. Whatever you do, finish it. To follow up this idea, I actually ended up killing off or selling a bunch of my projects. Anything that didn't relate to something I was really excited about and, you know, helped my core audience, I got rid of, even if it made money, because I needed to focus on it, and I needed to focus on finishing and improving each product that I had. Number 11, minimize efficiency. Now, blogs all over the internet will tell you how to get the most for your time. Increase your output and maximize your efficiency. Following these ideas, the amount you can accomplish will increase substantially and your life will probably improve. I know many tips have worked for me and I even share some of my own. But not all efficiency is good. My wife used to work in retail at Banana Republic a couple days a week. Most of the time while she worked, I watched our eight-month-old son. From a finance perspective, this is incredibly inefficient. 
Through my software design company and books, I could bill out my time for more than 10 times what she makes per hour. If money were the only metric that we used to make decisions, she should have quit her job a long time ago. Instead, we look at the big picture and see the benefits beyond only finances. She gets a change of scenery with people at work she enjoys. I get to spend quality time with Oliver, often going to visit my dad or other friends. It's a great time away from all distractions of work and other obligations. My entire focus for that time is my son. Wonderful, but inefficient. Around the same time, my iOS apps hadn't made much progress since I'd been busy with contract work. A friend had suggested that I hire out the development to get them moving more quickly. Again, this would be efficient. I am a very slow programmer, and my time is far more efficiently spent on design. Instead, I insisted on doing most of the programming myself. It was slow, but I wanted to learn as much as I could. Finally, in those early days, I spent time writing for my blog, which at the time was not an efficient way to make money. Again, I should have been working on my backlog of design tasks and billable project work. That is, if making money was the most important thing. Instead, I found a balance between activities that make money and activities that make me happy or improve my life. So even after all of this, everything that we just talked about, maybe efficiency isn't the most important thing. Hey, thanks for listening to the very first episode of the Nathan Berry Show. The show notes are at nathanberry.com slash session one. And I would really appreciate it if you would go there, follow the link through to iTunes, write a review early on in a podcast. It's super important to have lots of great reviews. And so that would be doing me a huge favor. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.